Hi, and welcome to Pivot and Thrive. This is your host, Kim Shea, and I am speaking to somebody that I'm really honored to talk to. She has been uh, very kind to come and talk to us because she's been on CNN, Oprah, the Today Show, and it's because she's doing something so amazing that everybody wants to talk to her, and I'm just really thrilled that she can talk to us today. She is a purpose coach. She's a consultant. She offers a master class. She's an author of her memoir. It's called Purpose, Passion, and Pajamas, How to Transform Your Life, Embrace the Human Connection, and Lead with Meaning. And she has a lot to share with us about her personal story. So she also offers a masterclass, and you can find out information on when you could attend something like that. You can read her book, and she's going to talk about her nonprofit that she started. And she's just got a great backstory that can help you as you're thinking about ways you want to change your life as you're moving forward into retirement. So welcome, Genevieve Baturo, to the podcast. Thank you for this invitation, Kim. Thank you. So tell us about your backstory. Who are you? How'd you get here? Um, Well, I never thought I'd be here. So I thought I was going to be climbing the corporate ladder forever because when I was young, I wanted that more than anything. And I thought that was success. You know, I watched women like Mary Tyler Moore and Modern women just, you know, climbing up and, and, you know, taking over in a man's world. And I wanted to be one of those women. And I was doing that. And for 12 years as a single corporate girl, I was climbing and climbing and I had everything going in the right direction or so I thought. And one day in the middle of a quiet afternoon in my apartment, I heard a voice in me and it came from somewhere other than my head. And I've learned to call it my heart voice. And it asked me a very simple question. It asked me, if this is the next 30 years of your life, is this enough? Wow. And I was shocked because I, you know, I never had any question about what I wanted to do. But in that moment, I realized that a lot of the the values and the expectations my Italian family had for me, the firstborn of four, to have a family and follow, you know, that tradition and, and have children. That didn't seem to be my path for so long. But here I was in my mid-30s thinking, the way I've chosen is probably going to continue and I will continue to be alone. And I thought, that's not okay. And it all rushed at me, you know, in those few few minutes there. And I really thought that I wanted to find a way to bring more children into my life. And I started reading in shelters. And that's when that aha moment mm. came. So I, I listened to that voice and I wonder how often it had tried to talk to me and, and you know warn me. But like so many of us, I was so busy, you know, working so hard and long and I probably just ignored it until that moment and I heard it. Hmm, That's interesting. Yeah, I'm sure. Well, it may have served a purpose, though. It sounds like it probably served a huge purpose. Your background in marketing sounds like it's been valuable to you overall. Yeah, it turned out you're right. It did. Yeah. So how about um, reading to children? What do you mean by that? So I called shelters because I'd seen recently some articles and TV spots on the news about children who were taken out of wherever they were living by police and social workers because it was unsafe, unfit. And I called the police and I asked them, "These, where do you bring these children when you have to rescue them? And they gave me some emergency shelters in New York. And I called them and I asked them if I could come and read at night. And they said, yes, that, that I could do that. 
And I was thrilled and I went shopping for children's books and I went to read at night to children and I got a real, a real wake up call. You know, I, I was in a, a middle class family, but this was, this was not anything that I had ever witnessed when I walked into the shelters. They were, they were, you know, they were bare. I mean, the people were lovely who were taking care of these children, but you know, you could never call it a home. The, the children, you know, just were processed in, in some of these emergency shelters, which is horrible to think about, but, but that's what it was like. They were there because it was safe and at any time of day or night. And they were trying to find a place for the children to go, but until they had to stay in these shelters and it was, it was heartbreaking, but I would read there at night, not knowing the specifics, but I could tell, I could tell by looking at the condition of the children, you know, they were, they were afraid. They were wearing old, you know, clothes if they didn't have time for the staff to find them something more appropriate. And, um, I guess I kept them feeling, you know, safe by reading them stories. And I did that, you know, for, for several weeks, um, until I had another, you know, another wake up call. And so what happened with that other wake up call? Oh, the one you were talking um, about before well, or a different one? No, a different one. There, there were a few. So I was reading to them and I, I'd never felt that grounded. Every time I showed up with my bag of books in my business suit, because I come from work, I would meet different, you know, the different children who were recently brought into that shelter. And there were a few shelters. I sat on the floor and I was reading to them and it, it was very quiet. You know, they didn't have a lot to say because they were mostly waiting to find out what was going to happen to them. And they were still, in some cases, you know, traumatized or afraid and, and certainly lonely and confused. And one night when they finished reading with me, the staff came in to take them to another room, which was the room they were going to sleep in. And I followed. And what I saw was a very bare room, like the one I'd been reading in just a few cots and futons and kids huddled together in some cases. Boy. They didn't have anything to change into. They were wearing their clothes. Some of them were crying. And I had flashes of my mom sitting, you know, at my bed. And she'd sit at my sister's bed and my brother's bed. And she would tell us stories and make us giggle and give us snacks. And, you know, it was just wonderful. We had warmth and comfort. And, of course, we had pajamas to put on. Mm -hmm. And these children didn't have pajamas. Wow. And that's the one thing, for some reason, that stood out. They're sleeping in their clothes. And as I was leaving, after I was, you know, just trying to absorb this scene that broke my heart, I asked one of the staff women there if I could bring pajamas the next time. And she thought that was lovely. She said, no one ever thinks of pajamas, and we do the best we can here. We don't, never know how long they'll be here. And when I brought pajamas... And started giving them out after the story time. One little girl was so afraid. She was afraid of me. And she was afraid to take the pajamas while the other children took them quietly and went into that room and changed. She was so afraid. And finally, I gently coaxed her. I, I, I told her how soft and warm they were and that I thought they'd fit her. That They were pink and she had a little pink in her, in her top, which was soiled. And she whispered to me, what are pajamas? Oh. And that was, that was, that was just, that broke me. That was just yeah. awful. I just, I didn't even, I didn't know what to say. And I had to sort of contain my emotions. Otherwise I would have broken down and she would have been even more afraid. And I explained to this little girl about six years old, what pajamas were. Oh my gosh. Wow. 
Yeah, that yeah. must have that must have been hard to hear and to process at the same time, given your own background. It, it was awful, and it, I didn't. You know, I, I all I could think about. I, I became obsessed was was how many of these children are are there? Yeah. Oh boy. So, what did you do with that? I started shopping, <laughs> and all I could do was buy pajamas in every size and shape and color and gender. And everywhere that I had appointments to read, I'd bring the pajamas. And it just brought it all right to my heart, the whole scene, the whole bedtime. And I realized soon that it wasn't about the material. It wasn't about how soft they were. Of course, they were soft. It was about that whole comfort and security that my mom gave me that you know, you give that little boy I saw with you mm. that we give those that we tuck into bed at night, you know, and after 35, 37 years, I'd never thought about what bedtime, what my mom really gave mm. me at bedtime, that security, knowing she was there, that love, yeah. that, you know, reassurance, that confidence, that foundation. And these kids were like floating around minute by minute, not knowing what was around the corner. And it was yeah. just so wrong to me. Yeah, no, that's that's huge what you did. I'm sure it's comfort. And it's also just that someone cared enough to do something that nice for them and give them something new must have been for some kids pretty special as well. Yeah. And to this day, it's only new pajamas and new books because of okay. that. They never get anything new. Okay. And books. Yeah. Also the whole bedtime. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So how big is um, this company, the pajama program or this organization? How big is it? Right. Well, we celebrate 21 years and wow, we have 63 chapters around the U.S. We're national and we have um, crossed over 7 million, crossed that line of 7 million new pajamas and new books to children um, who are in need and who are living, you know, um, in in unstable homes and who who really, you know, we say um, a good night's a good day. I don't know how they they manage to get up and have the strength and the courage to go through a day when they've, you know, they've cried themselves to sleep in uncomfortable, yeah. dirty clothes. Yeah. Oh, I, it's, I, it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. But what's so beautiful is that you took something so heartbreaking and then you acted on it. You didn't just go home and drink a bottle of wine and go, wow, that's really terrible. And not, <laughs> there were times when I did have wine. <laughs> I'm sure you did, but I mean, you did something, you acted on it. That's what's yeah. really cool. Yeah. So um, how did this play into your career? How, how, what was the impact there? Well, I was hiding it. You know, I was hiding all this because I really, I didn't see it as a career. I just thought of it as something I did in my own time, but it was growing and it was taking over my heart and my brain and my enthusiasm for this corporate lifestyle that I had so wanted was really just evaporating. But I didn't know what that would mean. I had a mortgage, you know, I had bills. I didn't, I just didn't tell anyone what I was doing because I didn't know what, what it was going to turn out to be. I know I didn't want to keep my job. I just wanted to be with these kids and, and shop all day and deliver pajamas, you know, 24 seven. So it was really scary because I did pour everything in for over 12 years to my career. So I, I didn't know what to do. So I kept it a secret for a long time and that got me into some messes. Because I was, you know, I was not doing a good job. I was, you oh. know, such a, a good worker. But I would leave early. I would come um, come in late. I would take long lunches. I'd have a suitcase of pajamas for kids hidden in the closet at the office and saying I'd be going away for the weekend. And it was just two lives. You know, yeah. it was really 
and it was really um, difficult. And I thought, okay, I have to tell someone. So I, I told a friend, a girlfriend. Um, I knew her. I knew her, but she wasn't a, a close best friend, and she was a workaholic. So I thought she'd understand, you know, maybe an obsession. So when I told her, she just bombarded me with questions. You know, why? What are you going to do? How are you going to leave your job? How are you going to get paid? You have a mortgage. You work so hard. Can't you just do that on Saturday? And it was just, I had no answers. Mm. You know, I didn't know. I just didn't have any answers of what I was going to do. I was hoping at least for some support. But in that instance, I didn't get any. And one of the lessons in my book is you you get your cheerleaders first. You You get those people that know and love you that will trust you'll figure it out before you tell somebody who you don't know, who doesn't love you, who doesn't have your back, who's going to shoot you down because it took me a while to stand up again. Okay, that's pretty powerful. How did your family, did you tell your family? Did they know what was going on? Yes. Then I finally, I met a great guy about this time and he was wonderful. I I thought, okay, I really like him. You know, I, I hadn't been married and I didn't want to get married, but I met him and I thought, oh, it might be something I want to talk to him about. And he was interested, I know. So I told him what I was thinking about doing and about these kids. And I said, I'm leaning toward leaving my job, but I don't have a plan, you know, but this is so important to me. And it's just, it's just, I'm obsessed. And he said, go for it. So I knew I had his support. I knew I'd have to figure it out, but I had, I had his emotional support. And then my mom, And she said, I don't know how you're going to do it, but I know you're going to figure it out. My dad was cautious, but, you know, nowhere near my friend. He didn't shoot me down. He just said, you know, uh, have you thought about this? Have you thought about this? And I said, no, but I will. And I, I think I can figure something out. So, yeah, as soon as I got that support, then I could sort of stand tall and and figure it out so that if anybody else had those hard questions, at least I have a few answers. Well, then what, what did you do? I quit. Oh, you quit. It took about six months. I went from full-time to project work, full-time to to part-time to project work. I never told to this day. I don't even know if that employer who was in Italy, if he ever found out, but um, I did. And I vowed to work at McDonald's. I vowed to do whatever I could to keep up my bills. Yeah. And I got married. I was married at the time. And, um, my husband had a uh, sometimes made good money, sometimes didn't. One of those types of um, work. He was an, he was an actor, made a lot of commercials. Um, so we just sort of took one day at a time, and I learned what a five hundred one c three is. Mm-hmm. I learned to make it a legal entity. I learned how to raise money. Um, took a few years, but I learned about. A salary. I learned about help. I learned about interns. I learned about every part that I had no clue was part of a nonprofit. And um, here we are, 21, 21 years later, and it's thriving. Thank goodness. Yeah, it's really amazing. It's an amazing story. Um, so now in your book, do you talk about the 5013C and how to build one of those, if that's something you're interested in, or is that a separate... Thing. It tells the story, but it doesn't give anybody instructions. Okay. You know, I'm, I'm always available. I always tell people, feel free to email me. Let's chat. Let me hear your story. I'll share everything I can with you, you know, nuts and bolts and emotional. You know, the emotional stuff is harder 
much harder to deal with than the nuts and bolts. You can find people to tell you how to do stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's easy compared to making that change in you. That's emotional. That's hard. And there are people that you have to consider their feelings um, and just be prepared for them sometimes. So I'm always available if people want to, you know, just brainstorm more if they just want to hear. I'm a good listener. That's, that's so generous of you. When you say prepare for the emotional, are you talking about with, with the charity that you're working with, or are you talking about um, the people that you're dealing with within the organization? Um, first, first in you, oh. you know, it's very exciting, especially, and I, and I'm all for people following their heart and I, and I, teach finding purpose. I teach both jump, the jump method and the slide method. I did the jump method. I I keep doing that. You know, two years ago, I passed the baton of the executive directorship to one of our board presidents who took the job. And now, you know, I make my living speaking and writing and consulting. So there's a, a jump that you can make. And some people are built for that, but it's very emotional because you are leaving something that is you know, we ne- nothing's ever secure, but that you feel like you know okay. and that you've invested in to follow a dream. And sometimes you don't have all the answers. And I had no answers, but I had that pull, that very, very strong pull, and I followed it. And I teach the slide method for people who feel it's time to bring their purpose into their lives, and it doesn't have to be all-encompassing. And I get that because people have children and responsibilities. You know, I had a few, but there are people with a lot more responsibilities and everybody deserves to have their purpose in their life, whether it's, you know, a slide or a jump. So it's very emotional for those in your, in your circle too. They, they know you one, one way and they're comfortable with you one way. And then you, you up and change everything. And sometimes they're uncomfortable and depending on who it affects, you know, everyone wants to be your cheerleader at the beginning, but you, when you're following something and you're trying to make something new happen, it can be an obsession. You know, it can take more time than the job you knew how to do. So it's, it's a new life. It really is a new mm-hmm. life. And that's emotional highs and lows. Okay. That's very valuable. Worth it, okay. Yeah. I, okay. I guess you find it's worth it. Yeah. So that's interesting. Yeah. So um, as a retirement coach, I like to see people possibly start something on the side before they're ready to retire. So that by the time go. they Why? retire, it's, you know, they're ready to go and it's not such a horrible transition for them. It's right. They've got something to step into. So is that something that, you think like, could you start something like this, like a nonprofit? Could a person getting ready to retire, could they start a nonprofit kind of on the side as a side gig while they're getting ready to finish up and transition out of their career? Yes. There's lots of things they can do related to a nonprofit uh, and to lead up to forming it. Cause there's a lot to think about. And, and there are many aspects of it that you can do while you have a job just to, to know as much as you can about what you're going to do, because it's a big responsibility to start a nonprofit. You know, it's not volunteering. It is, um, you know, legal is financial. It is, um, you know, strategizing. It's, it's a lot of work. If it's, if you're going to take it seriously, it is not volunteering. So there's a lot that you can look into and a lot of people, professional people that you can talk to, if you, you know, if you know what you love to do and you're exploring doing that when you retire, um, if you've done all that and you want to start a nonprofit, that's fabulous. I think that's great. 
Okay, that's good to know. Um, you talk about um, that you could build a nonprofit, but you have to have a board and you have to get volunteers. Right. And so I right. think sometimes I, I was talking to somebody recently who wanted to start one. And I was like, but there's other components to it. It's not just like, I'm going to go do this yeah. thing. So you have, you have to get approved. Right. Okay. Yes, you have to get approved by the IRS. Uh, and that's paperwork and that's waiting. And that's, you have to ha- submit board, a board name, names of board members that have agreed. You have to articulate your mission and why. Um, there's a lot, there's a lot to think about. And, um, you know, it's, it's a beautiful thing. Uh, but it's, it's not just like, okay, I'm, you know, I love dogs. I'm going to, you know, have a nonprofit and, and rescue dogs. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not that easy. Um, in terms of finding a board, how hard was that? I would imagine that what you were doing was so endearing that a lot of people would have wanted to be on the board. Was it easy for you to get board members? It was easy because I did what a lot of people in my position did was ask your friends. Oh. So I, I asked three friends who, of course, said, sure. Mm-hmm. But as I grew it and got professional advice, and I don't mean I had to pay for all the advice, but advice from nice people who had who had nonprofits, who, you know, every, we all will help each other and will help anybody starting too. Um, you learn what a board's responsibility really is. And your friends did, did this, said yes to be your friend because they care about you, but they may not be ready to take on the responsibility and to seriously raise funds, to seriously look at the rules and regulations, to seriously get behind this business entity Mm -hmm. it's very different and as you grow if you if you want to raise money you need serious board you need president vice president and you know it's it's not something that friends can just do you know once in a while on a saturday it's not okay all right and so in your master class is this some of the stuff that's covered or is it more like finding your your purpose what what's well i have 12 master classes I, oh. I started them in the pandemic because i couldn't speak in person yeah okay so now i do them for groups and it could be friends um i do otherwise I, I would do it as a personal consulting you know hour and a half but there's everything from so you want to start a nonprofit from the ground up to um do you want to write a book to everything related to finding your purpose to your chapter two, finding your purpose in your chapter two, which is like mm-hmm. you're saying retirement. Or some, some people like me, you know, in their late thirties or forties, they just decide, you know what, this, I did this and I don't know why I chose this. It just sort of felt like the next step, but really I want to play music or I want to do yeah. something totally different. You know, it doesn't have to be a charity, just a different career. So there are 12 and there are, most of them are listed on my website. Okay. All right. That's that's pretty cool. And, and I will have that link in the show notes, but it's GenevievePitoro.com, and I'll spell that out later, but you'll be able to go in there and contact her and, and find her information there. Um, so how, when did the book come about? When did you start working on that? Over the last 20-plus years, a, a lot of adults who heard about what we're doing and supporters, they had wanted to talk and asked me to mentor them about finding their purpose. You know, I, I kept telling everyone, look, if I could do it, anyone could do it. So people took me up on it and said, can you, can you sit with me for an hour? Let me tell you this crazy idea I have. And I did, and I loved it. And some people actually moved on it. Um, some did not. And I learned a great deal. And so did they about, you know, what they wanted to do. And I just knew that there was not just a story of pajama program and one little girls, you know, turning so many of us upside down. 
with her question, but that there was that there were so many people out there who would have who would benefit from knowing the highs and the lows, um, who would know my story that's brutally honest. You know, I mean, I got into credit card debt. I just I couldn't stop thinking of how many kids were out there and, and I was buying and buying. And, you know, I ignored my husband, my new husband, who I promised to be, you know, great partner in, in our marriage because I was obsessed and we're still together. Thankfully, he stayed. Nice. <laughs> it wasn't, you know, but but it's and I talk about all the things that I could have never dreamed, the highs and the lows. So by sharing all of that and being very honest, I felt like this would be my chapter too to help the adults who we all deserve to live our purpose. And we all have a purpose, even though we don't always think we deserve or that we're the lucky ones. I got to, you know, got to have a purpose. We all have that purpose. Yeah, I like that. I, I see that with clients where they, they'll come in and they'll, they're, you know, they're getting ready to retire and they, I don't have anything. I don't, I don't think I have anything left to do, but I've got friends who've got this lined up and that lined up and I don't have anything. It's like, it's there. You just don't know it's there. So that's wonderful that you're trying to help mm -hmm. people find that because finding your true north is really a gift to you. And if you can help somebody else get there, it's really awfully nice to know that they're going out and doing what they love like you. I mean, it seems like this is yeah. what gets you out of bed every day. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I say it's your north star, just like you said. You know, yeah, mm -hmm. that's wonderful. Now you talk about one one of the um, the subtitle. I don't know what the correct word is there, but the part of your title is to embrace the human connection and lead yeah. with meaning. What do you mean by that? Well, through the whole pajama program story, I I had unbelievable support by telling the story. People connected. They felt that little girl's pain. They felt their own pain when they heard about her simple question. They felt like I did. We can fix this. We, we can't, maybe fix is the wrong word. We can give her some comfort and remind her that we see her and we love her and we want her to feel warm and loved and we want her to get a good night's sleep and not to be tossing and turning in uncomfortable clothes and afraid and crying. Can't take all of that away, but we can give this warmth, this love and this gift of pajamas and a storybook. Um, there were so many stories and people who shared with me their bedtimes with their children or with their moms and dads. And for all those people to rally because of this little girl, what she started, her question started, it was, it was amazing to see how many people came together. And I talk about a lot of instances in the book, you know, Every time I was at my wit's end, and I know when you're on purpose, the universe conspires to help you. I was at my wit's end many times. And one time I really was thinking, I'm going to give up my job. Am, am I really doing something good? Or is this just something that I think is good? Is it making mm. a difference? Well, I got a call from a man who didn't identify himself. I, I answered the phone and he's, he just started asking me questions. Why am I doing this? Where am I going with the pajamas? What do I think it's doing? And where all kinds of just shooting questions at me. And I answered them. And then I started to get nervous. I didn't know who he was, but I was answering the questions. And then he sensed that I was nervous. And he said, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm making you uncomfortable. But I want you to know I was a little boy in an orphanage. Oh, wow. And bedtime was the worst time 
for me and the other boys in my, my room where we slept. And I would cry myself to sleep saying, where, where's my mommy? Why don't I have a mommy? Gosh. And he said, I want you to know they feel it. Any gift, any, they will, it's invisible. You are invisible to them, but your love is not. And I am telling you, you're making a difference. Wow. And we're, we're still friends. And he, he's just been, he was there in that moment where I doubted the difference I was making. And there are so many stories like that. And I tell people, the one thing I learned, you know, people used to say, and I used to think it too, not of me, of other people, one person can make a difference. You know, I used to see these stories. And then people said to me, oh, look, look what you're one person. Look what you did. No, it's not the power of one that changes anything. It's the power of one another that mm -hmm. moves mountains and moves people. I have seen it. I know that's a fact. And nobody can do it alone. And that's why I, I'm always available if anybody wants to, to talk and, you know, and, and just brainstorm. We need each other. I like that. You, I mean, you did do something to start off right off. I mean, just by going to read to these children was a real gift of one person to some other children. That was a really wonderful gift. And then you brought the pajamas and that was you doing that by yourself on your own. But um, in my networking group, we have a saying that we share and it's probably from somebody else, maybe not original to somebody in the group, but it's like, you can go, you can go faster by yourself, but you can go further together. And so when you have a big group of people, I mean, you're all over the country now. That's huge. That's so wonderful that you mm -hmm. saw that and, and were willing to do that. And even though you, it sounds like you went through a number of headaches to get there, um, you stuck with it. You made it happen with the, yeah, this big I mean, group. Right. Yeah. When, when you're obsessed and you have this purpose, um, yeah, that's, that's what happens. And I think we see it in, in a lot of people who start something because they're following their purpose you know it's all it's all in it's all in and we try to have a balanced life but it's it's hard so it's really important to you know to be with people who who get that who get you and who who support that because otherwise it's it it can't happen you you, you won't be able to get there yeah that's very inspiring even for people who don't want to do this on their own it sounds like they could get a lot out of volunteering to do something like this, to be a part of somebody else's organization. Absolutely. You know, everybody knows what they love, you know, and, and I would always say it, it's okay. You don't give, you know, money to pajama program. I just, in my heart, I would say, I just hope you give somewhere. You know, I just hope that there is something that moves you, you know, seniors, some, some kind of an illness, um, animals, um, so many, so many ways you know, to, to give yourself, you know, to volunteer, you, you don't have to write a check. So I, I always say, you know, there is something, at least one thing in your heart that moves you that might need a little support. Yeah. I like that. I, I have a child who's very practical about everything. And, um, he, whenever I talk about, you know, I should donate to this or that or whatever, then he'll, he, he just says, you can't, you're not going to make that big of a difference. It's, it's up to corporate level people to do that, to be able to put that money there and put that effort there. But I think even if you just do something, even if you gave $5 to a cause you cared about, you're putting energy in the right direction. And, and you don't even necessarily know what that impact is going to be, but you're helping to support something that's really big. It's really, it's really I great. Agree. I agree. Yeah. I agree. I think, yeah, I think, I think that we are not whole if we don't help, if we don't give a hand up, if we don't show up, 
I think that leaves a hole in us. So I agree with you. Yeah. So you, I mean, if I, I sometimes when I have uh, guests on the podcast, I'll ask them, do you feel like you're living your purpose? And to me, that seems like a silly question with you because you seem like you're absolutely living your purpose. But what is next for you? Well, I'm now speaking in person again, which is great. Nice. I Very nice. missed that over the last two years. I did all the Zoom master classes. But um, but I love I love to meet people and I and I love to to find connections and to to share my story and try my hardest to inspire them in what they're doing or in making a change if they if they need to just you know know someone's been there to you know to give them that support to to do it or to brainstorm ideas of how they can do it. And now is it's important, you know, everyone's taken these two years and really, whether they've purposely reflected or it just came on them like, wow, I don't really think I even liked what I was doing. And now that I'm not able to do it fully, can I, is there a way to make a change? Life is short. We don't know. So it's a lot, it's a lot to think about now. And, and I'm glad people are thinking about it. You know, and, and if you're thinking about it, then there's a way to at least bring it in, slide it in a little bit into your life. And that changes your attitude. It changes people feel your energy change. Mm. It's it's so great. You don't have to be all in, but you can't push it further back on the back burner. Yeah, absolutely. How um, like to run something like this? How many hours a week do you work? I'm just curious. Well, now, since I passed the baton to the executive, new, new executive director as of a couple of years ago, um, I speak through our story. You know, I talk to all kinds of audiences through what I've been through and talk about the human connection and how important it is for you to find your purpose. So that's what I do day in, day out. I finished this book and it, it came out in, in COVID and, um, I'm marketing the book too, and I'll write a second one, but I have not started that yet. I want to write the second one to do with people now looking for purpose more than ever. So that's working. And I work with organizations to create a shared work culture. Um, I have a series of workshops called Purpose Acer, and I coach people. So I work, I work a lot. You know, I, I work a lot because there are a lot of avenues. There are individuals and companies, and now things are open up opened up so I can meet with people in person. And I feel like I have to make up for the two years that I was just sitting at my desk with a computer. You like everybody else. So that's really great exactly. that you're getting out there and doing that. Um, do you, are you traveling a lot then? Yeah. 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 I, I've been traveling. Yeah. Planes, trains, buses. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. You really are very inspiring. What advice would you have for somebody who's heading into retirement then? I mean, I'm sure you have, obviously you have classes so you, and you coach, so you have a lot of advice, but what are like one or two tips that you would want people to understand if they're getting ready to retire or if they already even have retired to help them? Well, if you haven't, if you're not retiring from what you felt and feel is your purpose, it's never too late. Think about it. And on my blog, on my website, a few months ago, October, I think October, November, I posted how to find your purpose. And it's an exercise. Um, it's an hour and a half alone time and things to do. So if you really want to dig in to your heart and soul, take a look at that and follow those steps and see what's revealed to you. Um, but it's certainly never too late. 
Um, there are so many ways to give expression to your purpose. You don't, if you're retiring and you don't want to work full time, you want to really enjoy, there are lots of ways to slide that purpose into your life and to have it part of your life that will just give you such, such meaning. That's really nice to hear. How about if um, somebody were, were to um, be available to be on a board of some type of an organization like this? How much time would that take for them to commit? That's one of the masterclasses I teach. I'm teaching it now for the Atlanta Women's uh, Leadership Academy on how how to get on a board and what a board for a nonprofit looks like. It's different than for a for-profit. Okay. But um, I can I can talk to anybody about that and, and share. Okay. Um, share about that. That's good. That, that is a commitment. Okay. That's a commitment too. You know, it's, you have to know that. Okay. Um, and that's okay because it's, it's not 24 seven. It's not as hard as a career, but it is not, you, you're volunteering, but it's not like you just go every Saturday and then you leave it when you leave there. You know, you walk the dogs and then you go home. It's not, it's a, it's a commitment and it's a responsibility. So, um, it has to be taken seriously, but, um, it's also very meaningful. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, that replaces some of the work values that you lose in terms of somebody needs you to be there, you need to be yeah. accountable, and you need to still contribute. Yeah. So it's a really wonderful yeah. thing to do if you can, if you can and do usually, it. Right. And usually there, it's a match. If you say you were in marketing or you were in finance or you were an attorney or, or, you know, anything that you did, whatever that trait, that characteristic, that job you had can be transferred to what you do on a board. So if you liked it, I mean, if maybe you didn't like the finance part of your job, you don't want to do that on a board. But if you liked something, an aspect of your job, then there, that's a part of a discussion that you have with the other board members, if you're you know, interested, or the executive director to say, I'm really good at this. You know, I'm really good at fundraising. I'm really good at marketing. I'm really good at numbers. You know, I would, you know, I would want you to know that and and maybe that would be a good match and you could still do what you love. Yeah. That's that's yeah, and be part of a cause that you really are committed to. Yeah. Right. It's a win-win. It's never too late and these could be the best this could be the best decision you ever made and and you wouldn't regret um you know as much if you if you do come away <clears throat> retired saying, "Wow, you know, 40 years in finance. You know, here I am retired." didn't mean anything. Mm. This is a way, you know, a lot of us, you know, and a lot of people in that generation, they got a job. They didn't think about purpose. Nobody told them, think about your purpose. They do that now. Young people do that now. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm really, you know, envious of, of that. I missed that whole thing. I was more get a job. Yeah. Get a job. And it's sad when people, I meet people who wish they could, but they feel like so much has already, you know, they've invested so much and that they have so many responsibilities. They don't see a window. They don't see a slide. And I grab them and I say, let's just have a talk. 45 minutes. Give me a chance to tell you the options. Yeah, I like that. And I think for younger people, sometimes that's just, I, I've got four um, young adult children and they they want to do something like that, but it's hard right now. It's about get a job, pay off your student loan, get a car, get a place to live. And mm -hmm. I live on the West coast and it's expensive to live here. And so sometimes it is about just putting food on the table for the first part of your life and that it serves its purpose. You learn something, you take a lot with you from whatever you've done in most cases. So then you can go do yeah. the second part thing that you want to do. 
and and now's yes. the time to really indulge in your purpose and really get out there and feel really good about what you're doing. And I've I've met lots of people who are so happier, they're happier than they've ever been in retirement. It's not because they're sitting around uh, streaming Netflix. It's because they're right. out there doing something. They can't even believe how fulfilling it is to be doing something for other people. Yeah. I couldn't agree. You said it perfectly. Yeah. <laughs> well, agree more. Genevieve, again, I just want to thank you so much. I know you're, you're national superstar as far as I'm considered. And um, I really appreciate that you took the time to come out here and talk to us and inspire us all. I'm, I'm really inspired actually by um, things I'm th- thinking, how can I, how can I do something like this myself? Um, but so if you are listening and you would like to find her, Genevieve Paturo, and I'll spell her name for you because it's GenevievePaturo.com. It's G-E-N-E-V-I-E-V-E-P-I-T-U-R-R-O, GenevievePaturo.com. And you can also reach her if you want to send her an email at Jen, G-E-N, just one in. Yes. G-E-N at GenevievePatero.com. You can go on there and find out about her masterclass, her book, and all that uh, information there. And um, really try to help yourself figure out your purpose if you're lost with that. And Genevieve, I just want to thank you so much for your time. It's been really nice talking to you today. Thank you, Kim. So nice to, to be here with you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Pivot and Thrive. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you know anybody who you think would be a great subject for this podcast, please have them contact me. They can go to my website, retirementpurposecoach.com. And at the bottom of that front page, there is a contact section and they can just reach me right there. I'd love to hear from them. I am a certified retirement coach. So if you need any help from me with your retirement so that you have your own success story, you can contact me there as well. I'd like to thank Bokuwa and Wizzy2K for the use of their song, Will You Stay With Me? I have the link to that song in the show notes. Have an excellent rest of your day, whatever it is that you're doing. I hope it's purposeful. You'll enjoy your life so much better if that's your focus. Bye for now.